Now some of you already know this about me, but for the benefit of those who don't know me well enough to peg me in this way, let me just confess it straight out. And there's, there's less nice ways to describe how I describe myself, but you just keep those to yourself. But I am a planaholic. I am a planaholic. I, I sweat the small stuff. I love details. I love thinking through every possibility. Well, the other day, I presented my wife, Allie, with a flowchart of our major activities and obligations for 2017. Needless to say, Allie turned around and resumed what she was doing without so much as a glance at my elaborate chart. In addition to being a planaholic, I am consistently being teased by my family for the myriad of systems that I have in place around our home and all the routines I engage in on a daily basis. So what's this all about? Obsessive compulsive disorder? What is this? My daughter will probably just say I'm being weird. But really, what's this about? Why all the systems? Why the obsessive planning? Well, it's an attempt to manage outcomes. People might say that's being a control freak. I hope that's, that sounds really negative, but I would be dishonest if I didn't say that I plan and I prepare in such a way that I have an influence upon the outcome. I don't like surprises. I even think there's a commercial about that. I think it's a, an insurance commercial where the gentleman doesn't like surprises. That's me. I'm not fond of the unexpected. My sweet spot is when everything goes according to plan. Now this has been my time of confession. Are any of you a bit like this as well? Or am I the only one? Feel free to tell on your spouse or friend sitting next to you. Well, here's what Scripture has to say about that. As I read the Scriptures, part of my behavior is commended. And part of it is challenged. I'm glad to be able to tell you that the Bible actually affirms careful planning. In fact, the entire book of Nehemiah is about Nehemiah carefully planning and preparing to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And it's one of the best examples of the benefits of careful planning. And then one of my favorite verses in Proverbs for my personality. Some of you, if you're at all like me, you'll want to pin this on your wall. Proverbs 21.5 The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. You see, planning ahead is commended in the Bible. Calculating the cost is encouraged in Scripture. But here is where many of us fall down. We err if we imagine that because of our 
planning, we control the outcome. We err if we imagine that. Because we have carefully planned and prepared, we control the outcome. Have a look at Psalm 33, verses 10 and following. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. One of the key take-home points from this is none of us should get too excited about our plans. None of us should get too excited about all the work we've done in preparing for something. Proverbs 19.21 tells us, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord which will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. That's me. I've got flowcharts. I've got spreadsheets. I've got everything carefully mapped out. But the purpose of the Lord will stand. We have plans. I have plans. You have plans. But the Lord has plans. And guess whose plans are going to prevail in the end? If you want another biblical example, one of my favorites is the, the book of Jonah. God has a plan for Jonah. Jonah, you're going to go to Nineveh. Jonah has his own plans to not go to Nineveh, but to make his way to Tarshish. Well, whose plans prevailed in the end? Jonah has a will, but it's not a free a will that's free of God. God has a will, God has a plan, and the purposes of the Lord will stand. The biblical math is that our plans will only prevail in those instances where our plans are in sync with the purposes of God. And the clear and repeated message in Scripture is that God is in complete control of everything. He brings the counsel of nations to nothing. It's very interesting for me as a Canadian living here in the Bahamas for nearly seven years and, and watching the political maneuvering that takes place. And in our day, ahead of this election, we are seeing political maneuvering like many of us have never seen before in this country. But let's not get too excited. The purpose of the Lord will stand. In the United States, we have watched unprecedented hostility between parties and candidates. But let's not get too worked up. The purpose of the Lord will stand. Have a look at verse 16 and following. The king is not saved by a great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great 
strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Well, we can translate those verses into more general terms. We should not rely upon people for our security, whether that be governments or family members or colleagues or employers. We should not rely upon people for our security. Nor should we rely upon material resources to keep us safe. We should not rely upon our credentials. We should not rely upon our education for security. The Bible says these are a false hope. Now that doesn't make those things bad. Family is good. Having a job is good. Having credentials and an education is good. It's saying that they are a false hope does not make them bad. So here is the important pivot point for followers of Christ. For many of us, perhaps most of us, our greatest temptation and our greatest distractions are not the vices of this world, but rather our greatest temptations and our greatest distractions are those things that society says are good and necessary. God in His kindness gives us family. God in His kindness gives us resources. But we err when we elevate these things to highest priority. We err when we give family a place of priority that should be reserved only for God. Yes, even good and precious things are called a false hope. Again, this does not mean that family isn't important. It doesn't mean that resources aren't necessary. Similarly, every king knows how valuable their army is. Every king knows how important it is to have great warriors. Every king knows the importance of having a large stable of healthy horses. But the psalmist, who is probably a king, David... The psalmist who is probably a king gets it. He says the king is not saved by his army. Scholars are practically agreed this is David writing it, even though it doesn't say who wrote it in the title of the psalm, probably because Psalm 33 belongs with Psalm 32, but that's another track for us to go. We are not secure when we trust in people, and when we trust in resources. Hear what the psalmist says at the end of the psalm. He says, verse 20, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him, because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. 
I want to close out this message by helping us work through one question in particular. What does hoping in God look like? If trusting in Jesus is a well-placed hope, and if everything else is a false hope, what does hoping in Jesus look like? Because it would be very easy for us to simply engage in an intellectual exercise this morning, whereby we weigh the merits of trusting in Jesus more than anything else, and we conclude intellectually that giving Jesus highest priority is the best way. I want to caution against merely agreeing with what is being proposed without actually doing anything in response to it. What does hoping in God look like? Well, what does hoping in a person look like? What does hoping in a person look like? I've learned that I can overcome all kinds of everyday challenges if I make a phone call or if I send a text. Necessity has trained me to look beyond myself when it comes to troubleshooting everyday temporal problems. So if I have a need that I cannot meet on my own, I've learned that it's wise to call someone who can help me. Similarly, if we have a need that no human being can meet, we ought to call someone. We should call upon the Lord. In prayer. So, our first application is this a person who places their hope in the Lord regularly calls upon Him in prayer. A person that places their hope in Jesus regularly calls upon Him in prayer. Well, if you believe God is in complete control of everything, why wouldn't it be our first instinct to call upon Him and to ask Him to help us? Now, when it comes to temporal matters that I'm struggling with, I don't always have to call someone to get them to do something for me. You see, sometimes I just need information. I don't need them to come and fulfill the task for me. I just need to call them and they will tell me how I can fulfill the task. So how do we get information from God? How does God speak to us? God speaks to us, of course, in the Scripture. So yes, a person who places their hope in the Lord regularly listens to Him by studying the Scripture. I'll try not to make this a long sidebar, but I've been startled by the number of times people have said to me, the Lord told me to do this and the Lord told me to do that. If the context is right, I always ask, where? Where did you find that? Well, no, he told me. Where did he tell you? Where in his word? Because everything you must know is in this book. This is the only reliable place where we can be certain that God has spoken to us. So for us to say the Lord told me to do this or to not do this, we better have a passage 
Because we who hope in the Lord regularly listen to His voice speaking to us in the Scripture. That's going to be a pivot point for each of us. Because again, we might all agree up here that trusting in Jesus is a well-placed hope and that everything else is a false hope. But the reality is, and I don't want to sound harsh or unkind, but the reality is, if you're not regularly engaging the Lord by studying Scripture and regularly engaging the Lord in prayer, you're not effectively hoping in Him. You may believe in Him, you may have affection for Him, but you are not depending upon Him. Your hope is not in Him unless you're reading this book. Unless you're calling out to Him for assistance. Otherwise, God is just someone that we engage as it's convenient. Now let me tie this all to Christmas. Some of you are thinking, what in the world is He doing in Psalm 33? I came to a Christmas service. Let me tie this all to Christmas. The busyness and the demands of the Christmas season often make it very difficult to carve out the time we need to read this book and to call upon the Lord in prayer. Some of us are just so busy at Christmas, we don't do these things that we feel that we ought to do. And yet, if your experience of Christmas is at all like mine, you'll agree that we need the Lord at Christmas more than any other time of the year. I need the most help at Christmas. I need Him more than ever at Christmas to keep my hope in Him, to keep my rudder pointed in the right direction. I need to be in the Word more at Christmas. I need to call out to Him more at Christmas. Don't cancel your Christmas dinners. Don't cancel your family gatherings. Go and buy some nice presents for friends and family. Decorate your home. These are all good things. They're all fun things. But more important than any of those things is that you spend time with Jesus Christ. That you punctuate your busyness with meaningful time in prayer and meaningful time reading the Word of God. My exhortation to all of us, to myself included, this Christmas, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is the best. And make Jesus Christ the object of your greatest hope. Amen.